to increase uh, or to uh, challenge and motivate one another uh, to live out God's expectations, particularly in a, a, a specific arena of, of uh, discipleship. And this year's focus is called Focus on Your Finances. And we have invited Brother Keith Kassarjan uh, to join us in this study as he's, he's done this series of lessons on financial stewardship a number of times. Brother Kassarjan earned his bachelor's degree from Faulkner University and his master's in biblical studies from the Bear Valley Bible Institute of Denver. He's preached for over 20 years and currently serves as the director of international studies for Bear Valley Bible Institute and has been a part of Bear Valley since 1999 and has either taught or helped start the majority of their current extensions. Uh, he's a deacon at the Prattville Church of Christ in Prattville, Alabama, with whom we have many connections. And uh, he and his wife, Kim, have been married since 1990 and have been blessed with three children. We are, we are honored to have Keith with us here and uh, had a very powerful uh, message in his Bible class hour. And now we're going to turn over to Brother Keith to continue sharing God's word with us on the subject of financial stewardship. I'm happy to be at Buford this morning because I used to not like you. It's true. I didn't like you. Uh, my children participated in Lads to Leaders. And at Pravel, we went to the Atlanta Convention. And we were in the, is it Red Group? Yeah, I'm pretty sick of y'all because, and the winner is Buford, and the winner is Buford, and first place was Buford McBufordson from Buford, and uh, I literally remember mumbling to my wife, I'm kind of sick of them. <laughs> Congratulations, whatever. Uh, no, seri seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking, but I am happy to be here today. And now I kind of like you, except now I discover you've got the good communion kits. We've got the kind with the unleavened styrofoam. And so I'm a little bit bitter again, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm happy, literally, seriously happy to be here. And um, congratulations on all your success, by the way. I'm happy that you view this topic as worthy of our consideration, because it is. There are a lot of people who think that money doesn't have any place, you know, near God. It's not a spiritual thing. In fact, we've heard money's the root of all evil and filthy lucre and heard a lot of bad things about money. By the way, those are taken out of context, misquoted, but tip, sometimes we think that money and God, they just don't go in the same uh, arena and they especially don't come together in this arena, but they do. Spirit, it's a spiritual matter. As I said in class this morning, if God blesses me with something, what I do with that becomes a spiritual matter. And anybody who thinks this is not a, something we should be talking about, I would invite them into marriage counseling sessions where you find that money is the root of a lot of the problems they're having. In fact, there was a Gallup survey that revealed that 64% of all couples argue over money and that 54% of divorces come about as either result of directly from money or the stresses that money had in their relationship. It's important. Anybody who thinks it's not important, I would say, well, need to understand that there are a lot of God's priorities that are not supported by God's people because God's people haven't managed well what God gave them to begin with. You know, there are a lot of things that God values 
but they need support. And God's people can't do those things, support those things, if they haven't first taken care of what God has blessed them with. And then I would say for anybody who thinks it's not something we should talk about, I would say it is a spiritual matter. James 1.17 says God gives us all that we have and he has a vested interest in how we use what he has. And so this morning, in fact today, I appreciate your focus on this and I'm honored to be able to come and share a few things with you from the word of God. Stewardship is more than giving. It begins with managing. And so I appreciate your focus on that. This morning we're going to talk about some biblical principles of finances. These are things that come from directly from the Bible, as you're going to see. Most of you have heard of Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is arguably, I think he's universally recognized as the most successful investor of our generation. He's now well, well up in years, but... I checked just yesterday, his estimated net worth is currently $124 billion. That's with a B. He's done pretty well. And so every year, he auctions off a lunch date. You can, you can bid to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Uh, I think a couple the last years it hadn't happened because of COVID and all that, but the, the, the 2019 a guy paid four and a half million dollars to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Now, he donates that money to charity. But you think, why would anybody pay three, four million dollars to have lunch with him? Because they are hoping, I'm going to have lunch with him, and I'm going to learn something that's going to parlay into more than what I spent to, have, to get this knowledge. And probably it does. But I've got good news for you this morning. We're not having lunch with Warren, okay? But we are having breakfast with Solomon, all right? There's the good news. You can turn in your Bible. We're going to begin in the book of Proverbs. We're not going to stay there completely. But what we're going to find today primarily comes from the writings of Solomon. Solomon was not only the wisest man, he was also incredibly wealthy. He had done well with finances, and honestly, if I had a choice between breakfast with Solomon or lunch with Warren, I'm going I'm to go with Solomon. And the good news is you don't have to pay anything to do that. This morning we're going to go uh, to the Bible and see what it says about how we can manage well our resources that have come from him to begin with. The first thing I would say that we're going to see in the Bible is that... Ooh, there we go. All right, let's, you first have to cultivate the right perspective. <clears throat> you know, perspective is simply how you see something. It's an attitude towards something. And, and when we look at money, perhaps the most important thing is how we view it. What is your perspective towards money? And what we find in the book of uh, Ecclesi or uh, the book of Proverbs are several, and also Ecclesiastes, several insights into how we need to view money, specifically certain aspects of money. For example, what about the perspective as it relates to the priority of money in our life? Now, you know, for some, money is everything. 
we know that. And, and some people won't admit it, but it's the reality. Some people actually do say, this is, this is what drives me. But how do you view money? Obviously, it's, it shouldn't be the most important thing in our life because we already have other priorities as those who follow God. But, but where should it rank? Like, do I have to say, well, if, if it's not top, it has to be bottom? Or like, are there some other options there? I'm going to have to sort it out in my mind how important the financial part of my life is. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 10. Proverbs 8 and verse 10. Solomon says, receive my instruction and not silver. Now what's his instruction? It's things relating to the spiritual aspects of life. He said, you're, you're better off taking my instruction rather than my silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. Proverbs 16, 16. You're not going to be able to keep flipping, but I love the sound of those pages, by the way, which is one of the downsides of the apps. You know, with an app, you can't hear the pages flipping. And I love to hear those pages flipping. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. So Solomon had a lot of things but he at the same time is warning us about falling in love with those things and making sure that our priorities are in the right order. Proverbs, for the note takers, Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. He says, Solomon even says, do not give me riches lest I deny you. He recognized there was an inherent conflict, an inherent pull of the, the physical away from the spiritual. What about our perspective toward the supply of our finances? The supply, where does our money come from? Now, it's pretty easy for us to think that our money comes from our employer. I mean, you will, some of you tomorrow will go and you'll work for somebody and now it may be from your home, but you're working for them. And, and at the end of the, the week or the end of the month or bi-weekly or whatever, you're going to have a check or you're going to have a deposit and it's going to come from a certain employer. And it's easy to think that that employer or that investment or that whatever is the source of your money. We work for it. We deserve it. That's why it's ours and that's why we have it. But that's an incorrect perspective about the supply of our money. Turn with me in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 17 through 21. Proverbs 8, 17 through 21. This is where, in God's, this is Solomon penning it, but this is God speaking. He says, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness, my fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield than choicest silver. I walk in the way of the righteous of righteousness and in the path, the midst of the paths of justice, to endow those who love me with wealth. God says, I want to give those who love me wealth that I may fill their treasuries. Now, obviously, anything can be taken out of context and in an incorrect way, you're thinking, well, then why am I not loaded? Well, he's not saying you're going to be loaded. He's saying, I am the one who gives wealth. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, gave this passage out in class. Deuteronomy 8 is a series, well, the book of Deuteronomy is a series of lessons Moses is giving the Israelites just before they're going to go into the promised land. And in, in chapter 8, he tells them, you've got some really good stuff coming. You're going to go into this land and there's going to be food and water and milk and honey and it's going to be so nice and so great. And then he says, beware. Hmm. You tell me I'm going to have it better than I've ever had it before and the next word is beware. It's exactly what he said. Beware that you, that I'm going to paraphrase, Beware that when you have these nice houses and all these nice things, beware that you think you did this yourself. And he says you didn't. And then verse 18, Deuteronomy 8, 18, he said, it is I who gives you even the ability to gain wealth. Oh, but I worked hard. Well, how, how did you have the ability to do that? came from God. Oh, but I've looked for opportunities. Where did those opportunities come from? They came from God. Oh, but I've used my brain and made some good Good, but where did that brain come from? You see, at no point can we ever say that we have done everything and have anything without Him. He is at the root and the foundation and in it all. And I have to remember that. Let me also get my perspective right about the permanence of money. The permanence of money. The Bible clearly teaches about the fleeting permanence of finances. The fleeting nature of finances. Proverbs 23 and verse 5. Now, you, you will find this interesting because you have long thought this. But here is a really, really, really wealthy man saying this. Proverbs uh, chapter 23 and verse 5. Solomon says these words. When you have set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Have you ever thought, what happened? where'd my money go? It, it, I think it flew away. Solomon said, I've got more money than you'll ever have, and I think the same thing sometimes. By the way, Solomon was so wealthy that when the queen of Sheba, who was herself wealthy, heard about how wealthy he was, she went to see it and she was blown away. She said what? You remember what she said? She said the half hasn't been told. He was that wealthy. And yet even Solomon said, sometimes it seems like it just flies away. What about the permanency of money? Truth is, it doesn't last. And the truth is, it isn't made to. It is made to help us with our needs. It is made to, to, to assist us in helping others. It is made so that we can support the priorities of God. But at the end of the day, we're not taking it with us. And there are a lot of people who are spending their entire life, their entire existence, trying to get as much of this as they can and they can't take any of it with them. Solomon says you better get your perspective right to begin with. The second thing Solomon would tell us today is that we need to complete a financial plan. You look at the eggs in that basket and, and those are all a part of real life. 
I mean, you've got the, the mortgage and you've got the savings and you've, you've, got the, the, you've got some income and you've got some outgo, but where is the plan? Sometimes I do this uh, in, in a very, uh, sort of an informal Saturday type thing and people can come up and ask questions privately and sometimes I do counseling and, um, and the number one problem the number one shortfall is there's no plan. No plan. Now you might call it a budget. I prefer to call it a spending plan. We're gonna, we're gonna spend. It's kinda like the difference between saying an eating plan and a diet, right? Which one sounds better? They can accomplish the same thing, but one comes from a sort of a restrictive negative way, another from a liberating positive way, but both with the same impact. We need a financial plan. Let me suggest what, um, what we need to do. First of all, we need to involve God. When you are beginning to make your plans, involve God in them. If He really is your top priority, and if He really is the source of these things, then surely He needs to be involved from the very beginning on what we're going to do with this. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 5, he says this, The plans of the diligent surely lead to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely lead to poverty. Did you catch that? He said, for those who plan, they'll have plenty. For those who just kind of do whatever, they'll never have anything. And some of us have lived both sides of that and know for a fact both of those statements are true. Involve God. There is a passage in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. This is a game changer. I'm going to warn you right now. I'm going to warn you, don't read it if you're not ready to have your entire financial world rocked. Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Well, you may not read it, but I'm going to tell you. Honor the Lord with your possessions. That's a game changer. Because suddenly they're not mine to go and do and spend and whatever I want to do. Now sometimes I enjoy things like that, but he says honor the Lord with your possessions. What possessions? Oh, you have a car? How can you honor God with that car? Oh, you have a house? Okay, how are you honoring God with that space? Oh, you have some income. You have some investments. You have some windfall. Okay, that's good. How are you honoring God with that? You see, God is not a slice of the pie. God is the hub of the wheel. And that's a big difference. Involve God as you make your plans for the finances that He's blessed you with. Another thing that He would tell us to do, Solomon, Solomon would say, keep good records. Keep good records. You, you actually have to know where your money is going. And, and again, as I've talked to a lot of people, say, well, what, what, what are you spending, how much on and where, and they, and they don't actually know. Some don't even actually know what they're making. But if you don't know where your money's going, you'll never be able to get control of it. Let, let me say it this way. This is good South Georgia English you got to be knowing where your money's going. Can you remember that? you got to be knowing where your money's going. You can even form a budget 
But if you don't keep good records, you don't know if you made it or didn't. It really doesn't matter. Listen to what Solomon says about this. Proverbs 27, 23. Proverbs 27, 23 says, Be diligent to know. Now, I understand he's living in a, a largely, largely agricultural setting. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. He may say to us, be diligent to know the state of your stocks. We're in a little different environment, but the principle is the same. If you have assets, you have to be keeping up with them. You have to know how they are. You have to know where your money's going. You have to know where the money's coming in. Keep good records. By the way, I would also say do a periodic review of certain expenditures. How about you check your car insurance once a year and see if somebody else can beat it, homeowners, whatever. I did that just recently. I couldn't believe how much money I had saved uh, just by making one switch. It took me about 30 minutes. Keep good records. Number three, Solomon would say, as far as this plan goes, now you're ready to plan your spending. You're going to plan it. You see, I mean, here's the thing. You're, you're going to spend the money, right? So if, if somebody says, well, my financial plan is spend as little as I can, it doesn't work. Not only is it incredibly restrictive and unenjoyable, it, it doesn't work. Well, what is as little as I can? Well, technically, as little as I can is 100%, right? Plan your spending. Here, here's what a, a budget is, or a spending plan is this. It is you telling your money where to go rather than wondering where it went. It's going. It's going, right? The difference is you tell it where to go or you wonder where it went. And that is a biblical principle as well, to plan our spending. Proverbs, one version of Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Ouch. Got a little money? Gonna spend a little money. Solomon says that person is foolish and they'll never have anything. Plan your spending. Now there are two big challenges to this. And one of them is impulse purchases. I'll talk more about that. The session after we eat lunch is digging out of debt. We'll talk more about impulse purchases then. Uh, by the way, the potluck is, is going to be really good and, and tasty and good fellowship, and it won't cost you $25 a head down at the restaurant. So stay and be financially savvy and eat lunch with us today and enjoy good fellowship. One of the other parts of the, one of the other challenges that we have in this country is credit card debt. And I'll tell you, as I mentioned in class, I'm in a lot of different countries every year, and I've seen it over the years growing to where now more and more countries are extending credit to people who really just don't have business charging things to pay for things they can't pay for with cash. But they make a lot of money, so you know, they're gonna, it's gonna work out for them, it's just not gonna work out for you. Here are some numbers about credit card debt in the US. The they say, I really hope this is wrong, but um, they say the average, credit, average consumer has $4,200 in credit card debt. Now, you know there's usually more than one consumer in a household, which means the average credit card debt, not debt, credit card debt, $14,742. Which means that if you owe $8,000 on your credit card, or by the way, have you ever noticed that credit card 
companies will let you pay the minimum. Oh, so generous of them. I mean, that is so nice. Hey, you owe this, but hey, yeah, you don't have that. You, we'll take this. So generous of them. You know I'm being facetious. They want you to take the minimum, actually. So the credit card rates are also notoriously high. Let's go with 18%, some are more, some are less. $200 a month, how long is it going to take you to pay off $8,000 at $200 a month? $200 a month is $2,400 a year, right? Like that's no chump change. How long is it going to take you to pay off $8,000 on your credit card at $2,400 a year? 30 years. Do the math. 30 years. Is there some other thing that you think of that typically takes 30 years to pay off? A house. This is $8,000 worth of nonsense that you just in the spur of a moment threw on a piece of plastic 30 years ago. You don't even know what it was for. You don't have it anymore, but you're still paying on this thing. To dig out of debt, we'll talk about it later, but a lot of people are going to have to do some plastic surgery cut the credit card up. Don't let this derail you. So that $8,000 became 11,000 or or became uh, 19,000 because 11,000 of it was interest. All right, so if you plan your spending though, you don't run into that. If it works in the plan, it's fine. You get to make the plan, too. You're going to involve God. You're going to keep your records. You're going to make that plan, and then you're going to have the self-discipline to stick with the plan that you and God have made for the resources that He has given you. A third principle of our finances that Solomon would tell us to do, did tell us to do, is commit the first portion to God. The first portion. Not, not the leftovers, not the, you know, whatever I've got still around by the time the plate comes by or when it used to come by. Uh, by the way, at these tables now, these tables up here, we could, I bet they're pretty cheap on, the, on eBay right now, aren't they? Like, we don't use them anymore for anything. We used to have the six or eight burly men with that Lord's Supper stance, and now that's gone too. But what's not gone is the responsibility that we have to use the resources He has given us to support His priorities. Isn't that amazing? God says, all right, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give it to you, and then I'm going to see how important my priorities are to you. That's how it works. Otherwise, why, why why does He want us to give? God doesn't need anything I have. He made everything there is, and he could make more if he wanted it, so why is he asking me for something? You ever considered that? There's only one explanation. He wants to know where my heart is. And nothing will tell you that more than what? Money. Jesus said your heart and your money are tied together. If you want to have a more spiritual heart, what if, knowing that the heart and the the finances go together, what if you began making more spiritual decisions with your money, knowing that your heart will come along and it will become more spiritual too? 
Going back to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. You see, God demands that He come first. And sometimes we get stingy and sometimes we think the money was ours and we worked hard for it and who is He? But, but again, we've lost perspective, haven't we, on the supply. It's all His and it always has been. Proverbs 11 and verse 24. It is possible, listen to what he says, it is possible to give more freely and become more wealthy, but those who are stingy will lose everything. That's what Solomon, very wealthy, very godly man, said you can give more and you'll still do okay. And that reminds me of another passage in the New Testament. Anybody remember Luke chapter 6 and verse 38? Jesus said, give and it'll be given back to you. But not tit for tat, not dollar for dollar. Better than that. When I was growing up, I have a, a brother that's uh, younger, and, um, and uh, neither, both of us were pretty stingy. We didn't want to give anything to each other. But for Christmas, my parents forced us to give each other a present. So he and I worked out a deal. I would give him $3, and he would give me $3. And we were done. Obligation fulfilled. Jesus says, not like that. You're going to give, and it'll be given back to you. But not $3 for $3. It'll be given back to you so much that it will be like it's shaken down, pressed down, running over into your lap. You can't outgive God. Period. You can't. Solomon also said, I've been young and now I'm old. And I have never, never. He didn't say seldomly, rarely. He said, never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. You cannot outgive God. And giving to him is a part of how we honor him with what he has blessed us with. That's what the richest man and the wisest man said. One more. Be content. Be content. I, and I, I know we're told we need to have ambition and we need to go, go after it every day and we need to just you know go for it. And, and, and this is not in conflict with ambition. Some people think of content as not doing anything else. No. I don't, think that, I don't even think that's biblical. We should always be try, trying to strive. Even when it comes to giving, Paul told, the, mass, told the, uh, the Corinthians to excel more in this grace. Let's keep working. Let's keep improving. But where I am right now, am I content? And we struggle with that sometimes. And you're thinking, well, if I had Solomon's money, I'd be content too but I bet he struggled with it sometimes too. It's human nature. Sometimes we're so busy getting, we don't enjoy what God has already given. You know, we, we always think something else is going to be better. When you're single, can't wait to be married. When you're married, then you want to have kids. And then when you have kids, you can't wait till the kids leave. 
And then after the kids leave, you want them to come back and bring the grandchildren. And, then the, and I now have a grandchild. I can verify with this. When the grandchildren visit, you want them to leave. Somebody said, I can't wait to see those little angels come, and I can't wait to see that little devil leave. So some of you understand, but there's always something else, right? It's always something else. That's the, that's the thought process of a discontented person. And Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 9. Ecclesiastes 6, 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. What you can see and what you have is already better than what you can dream about or hope for or wish you had. Be content. I'm going to leave Solomon for a minute and I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is the passage that was read a few minutes ago. This is a, it, it, sometimes people say, what's the best passage in the Bible on money? Well, there are a lot. There are a lot. But I think this may be the most succinct of all the passages on money. This is Timothy, or, or Paul telling Timothy what he needs to tell the church when he's preaching. And I've known this passage many years. In fact, it's highlighted and I've got notes written and stuff in the margin. But one day, one day I was reading it. And it hit me. It hit me in a different way. And probably, probably because I am constantly in contact with and work with and have dear friends who have so much less than I do. Not even one week ago I was in a, another country that would be classified as a developing country. I don't know. I don't know why. But I'm blessed, and many times a year, I get reminded. If anybody has no reason, no excuse for ingratitude, is me. Now, I was reading this passage that was read a minute ago. Godliness actually is a means of great gains when accompanied by contentment. And it hit me. No matter what you have, it's more than you started with. Look at verses 6 and 7. You came into the world with nothing. Guess what? That's exactly what you're taking. It's more than you started with. You don't believe me? Go back and look at your baby pictures. You were naked and crying. You're doing better than that now? Then you're okay. No matter what you have or think you don't have, it is more than you will take with you. Verse 7, you're not leaving with it. No matter what you have, no matter what you have, it is more than what most have. Verse 8. If we have food and covering, that's a pretty basic list. If we have these two things, he says, be what? Content. 
I know people who don't have the food that we do. I know people who don't have the covering that we do. And sometimes they're more content than we are. No matter what you have, he says in verse 8, it's enough. I mean, really, what do you need to live? Food and covering. He said, if you have that, not only be content, it's enough. One more thing he says, no matter what you have or think you don't have, it is better than envy and greed. Look at verses 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich, what happens to them? Well, they, they, they fall into temptation because there's this, this inherent struggle between the physical and the spiritual. And, and uh, they fall into a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. And that plunges men into ruin and destruction. Why? Because the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. No matter what you have, Paul says... And Solomon says, and God says, be content. Be content. There may be more coming your way, but where you are right now with what you have, it all came from God, be content. Those are four principles of financial management that come directly from the Word of God. He owns it all. He gives it all. And He blesses us with everything that we have. And in turn, He allows us to choose how we use it. And the only question that I still need to answer is, will my managing of His resources reflect His priority? That's the only thing left for me to decide. How about you? This morning, we're here to tell you that God loves you. Yes, He blessed you with every single physical blessing there is, but even more importantly, with every spiritual blessing that there is. Jesus has already paid the price, given His life so that our sins can be washed away. And that is in, we are incapable of putting a price on the value of that. God loves you that much. The way is already prepared. If you would repent of your sins and then be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins, even today, you can know the greatest blessing of all, and that is forgiveness of sins and being adopted by God as His child. If you need to make your life right with God in any way, if you want us to pray with you and pray for you, whatever the need is, please let us know right now while we stand and while we sing. Give me the voice of Jesus.